Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of His glory to you. All right, grab your Bible, turn to Psalm 16. We're in the book of uh, Psalms over the summer. What we've decided to do as a church is we've decided to um, look at the Psalms through the whole summer, and part of the reason for doing that is because our desire has been that we would be growing in our affections for our Savior. Our our desire is is that that God would bring some, and we've been praying this, that God would bring some revival, some renewal to our own hearts. And and so we have uh, been praying that as elders, we've been praying that as a church, as we've gotten together, that God would bring renewal to our hearts, revival to our hearts, that we would see so much more of Him. That that would be our desire. We know that's God's desire, that we would see more of Him. And so we've been taking the summer to work through uh, the Psalms together. In September, we're going to jump into a longer, lengthier, lengthier study in the book of Exodus. And so if you're here with us in the fall, that's what we're moving toward. Begin reading it, uh, studying it, and, and that's where we will head. As we've done over the weeks, I'm going to, if you're able, invite you to join me in standing and reading God's Word together. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the first six verses. I'll read those verses, and I'll have you then join me when we get to verse 7. Okay? I'll read the first six. You all can respond as we get into verse 7. Here's what the Word of God says. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord... You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance with me. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. Make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is God's word. Amen. You may have a seat. This past week, my wife, Kirsten, sent me an article that she had read online. And, and um, she sent me this article encouraging me to read it. And the article uh, describes and defines the seventh year of a church plant. So, so the author um, of this article lays out some research that has been done, some, some stuff that they have d- uh, discovered over time uh, of what happens in the seventh year of a church plant. So there's research done. This isn't just a guy thinking, oh, this seems nice. But, but he, he's done some research about that seventh year of a church plant saying that it is the most difficult year. 
It's the most difficult year of a new church. And so the article said that generally speaking, years one and years two are the most exciting years of a church plant. People are on board. They're excited about what's to come. They're excited about all the new stuff that's being rolled out. And so they get to be a part of that. And they're excited. That's years one and two. They're even, studies have shown, they're even excited about the hard and difficult things that are coming because they're, they're, they're interested in how the church is going to handle those new and hard and difficult things. So there's this, there's this thrill of excitement in the new church plant. That's years one and two. Years three and four, the article goes on to say, community has begun to form and the church leaders are now finding their stride and finding their place and how they can lead to to be a a part of the life of of the church. That's three and four. Years five and six, everyone begins to see, begins to experience the fruit of the hard work that they've put in. So, so they see it, they, they realize it, they're, they're a part of it, they've seen what God is doing, they're, they're, they're glad that, that, that they've put in the hard work, they're seeing that fruit. They begin to see some of the, the success and, and the fruit of their hard work. That's five and six. But by year seven, the article says that, that the cracks are beginning to show, that that leaders are now tired, that people, for whatever reason, uh, begin to leave. Some who, who have been there from the very beginning of the church plant begin to leave. Year seven is often when the faithful laborers who have been there for so long begin to realize that their expectations about what, where the church should be are not really being carried out. Their, their expectations are, are, are not a, a reality in, in year seven. And, and so the article states that at year seven, the, the pastor oftentimes begins to face burnout. So my, my wife sends me this article for this reason. Uh, on June 24th, the town church celebrated her seventh year. So here we are, right? Right, right in the, the, the middle of that. And I don't mean to be a downer, but, but this article in a lot of ways is right on cue with what we have experienced as a church. I don't say those things to, to, to complain. Like this isn't about, uh, I'm not, I'm not dogging our people saying, hey, come on. Um, don't, don't be like them. That's not what I'm saying at all because in, in a lot of ways, in so many ways, you all have been a, a significant piece of who we are as a church, uh, partnering with us in, in a lot of ways, seeing how, how we've been a significant blessing to one another and, and also to the city at large. So talking about this is not my passive way to try to tell you, hey, shape up. That's not what I'm doing at all. In fact, this article for me was an encouragement. It was exactly what I needed to hear. My wife knows me well enough to know that I needed to read this article to be encouraged. And you're thinking, how in the world is that encouraging? Because the article seems like it's reading your obituary, right? Not an encouragement. And and here's how it was an encouragement to me. Here's how. First, it's it's encouraging to know that others have faced the kinds of things we're facing. Isn't that always encouraging? That you're walking through stuff and you're thinking, okay, but others have faced this also. So it's encouraging to me that, that others have walked through these same kinds of, of things. And, and then secondly, the article was encouraging for me because the main point of, of the article, and the main point of the article, the author says that when he was in his seventh year, because he was a church planter, in his seventh year as a church planter, someone said this to him. And this was what was so encouraging. He said, year seven 
is all about endure, endure, endure. That's the theme of year seven, endurance. Now that's what I needed to hear and be challenged by and encouraged by in this last week and in these last weeks. And we often face long-term pursuits and we often face these plans that we had and we're, we're going through all of the, the work that we've put in place. No matter what it is, really, we, we walk through that and we get to near a point in time that, that, that weariness sets in. That we begin to, to be wearied by the work we know we've been called to. Months, years go on and, and we're, we're beginning to get weary. Really, that's the Christian life, isn't it? Isn't that the ups and downs of the Christian life? That, that you go through these swings of like, I'm on fire for what God is doing. And then there are times where you're like, where, I don't even know where God is anymore. And that's the, the swing of the Christian life. And in the midst of those trials, here's what we're called by God to do. We're called to endure. In fact, in these last several months as a church, we've walked through the book of James together, and we've seen that being the theme over and over. Endure. Be steadfast. Stand firm. Endure. Be steadfast. And so for me, this was an encouraging article. Uh, to, to be even more transparent, as transparent as I, I know to be, the, the key word of challenge for me in this last year, maybe in this last two years, has been this. This has been the only thing I know to pray. God, God help me to endure. Help me to, to, to endure, to be faithful. And, and I've said this before, and I'll, I'll say it again. I want to faithfully serve the, the town church here in Fort Collins until Jesus returns or until I'm physically unable to do it anymore. I, I want at 90 years old for Eric to be wheeling me up here in a wheelchair, right? Still wearing that same blue plaid shirt that he always wears, wheeling me up, still looking like he's 15. I'm 90, he's 15, up here so that I can proclaim the good news of, of Jesus. That, that's what I want. I want to be faithfully serving uh, the church. I, I want to be faithfully moving in that direction. I want to be faithful to the service of God in the building up of the church. I want to faithfully serve my family. I, I, want, to be, I want to be playing soccer in our backyard with our boys and their sons one day. Or daughters. But, but sons one day. I want, to, I want to be doing that. I don't want them to live with us, um, but, but when they come over to visit once a year, I want them to be playing in the backyard. I, I want to be, I want to be lovingly and faithfully serving my family and pointing them all the more to the glory and honor of God. I want to faithfully serve. I want to faithfully serve my wife as long as she'll put up with me, and she does put up with me with quite a bit. This past week, I was pointed in the direction to, um, uh, a barber's chair that was for sale and I thought that's got to go in our living room and so I went and bought that barber's chair and I put it in our living room and she lovingly accepts the the craziness that is a barber's chair in our living room right who doesn't want that like that you can go up or, or down right and you I'm not starting a business but who doesn't want that and so I want to sit there and read and, and, and drink coffee I, I want to one day faithfully serve my wife by allowing her to sit in that chair one day I want to endure. I want, I want to, to be faithful. I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful to God, the God who has called me to be faithful. And I know so many of you 
are, are in that same place where you want, you desire, you want to be faithful. You want to faithfully serve your friends. You want to faithfully serve your spouse. You want to faithfully serve your kids. You want to faithfully serve in the church. You want to faithfully serve. You, you want that. You desire that. So many of you from crew uh, have a desire to be faithful in the long run, to be faithful to the ministry that, that God's called you to. Now, shouldn't that be our desire? That's a, that's a good and right desire. We shouldn't feel guilty about having a desire to be faithfully uh, practicing something that God has called us to, to say with all sincerity, I want to be faithful. There should be a desire. And only by God's grace can we lean toward that faithfulness, that He's drawing us toward faithfulness. And that faithfulness, if we're honest, listen, if we're honest, that faithfulness is easiest when things are going well, right? Faithfulness is easy when things are going well. Think about that. Who, who, has, who has ever said, my marriage is great, my finances are stable, my kids are healthy, and the ministry to which God has called me is flourishing. Oh, Lord, help me to be faithful. No one says that because they think, ah, I guess I'm faithful, right? And so we move in the direction of thinking, well, if things are going well, that must mean I'm faithful. And if things are not going well, then we've got to, to plead. We plead when things feel out of control and things feel really difficult. And we say, I want to be faithful. That Listen, that, that's what I've felt over the last year, over the last couple of years. The, the, this pleading with God, God, help me to endure. Help, help me to be faithful. Isn't that what we want? And I think that's what we see David getting at in, in Psalm 16. Again, David is the author, and I think David is saying, I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful to the God who has called me to be faithful. And thankfully, his desire to be faithful is rooted in something greater than a simple personal desire to be faithful. Let me say that again. Thankfully, David's, David's desire to be faithful is not rooted in just a simple desire to be faithful. It's rooted in something deeper. And here's what it is. It's rooted in the fact that the Lord is faithful. God is faithful. Over and over and over and over and over, a million times over, the Lord has shown His faithfulness to us. And so we see that in this psalm. So very simply, we can say with certainty, I want to be faithful. And we can say that because we know with absolute certainty that our Lord and Savior, our God, is faithful. And so David begins in verse 1. By the way, that's our outline. Pleading. I want to be faithful. And then saying and coming to the acknowledgement, God is faithful. I want to be faithful. God is faithful. And so David says in verse 1, with a general pleading with God, he says, preserve me, O God, for, for in you I take refuge. He, he's pleading for protection, isn't he? He's saying, preserve me or help me to endure. Help me to be steadfast. Help me to, to be faithful. Preserve me. Protect me. You are my refuge. And, and some will say that this is just the heading, the overall heading to the entire psalm and the rest that flows from it. But, and that may be true, but I think what we see from David saying here is, I want to be faithful in trusting God. I want to be faithful in trusting God. I want to be faithful. I want to endure in faithfulness. And the only way to do that is to trust that you, God, are my refuge, that you, God, are my protection. And so he goes on in verse 2 and saying, and he, and he says, I, I have no good apart from you. Now, isn't that the ultimate in trusting God, to acknowledge that? I, I have no good apart from you. What are you saying in that? You're, you're saying, so I need someone else. 
I'm trusting you, acknowledging that apart from God, there is nothing you can do to protect yourself. And apart from God, there is nothing good flowing from you. That is utter dependence. And so David begins, I want to be faithful in trusting you, God. And the way I know to do that is to acknowledge more and more and more that I need you. And then David continues in verses 3 and 4. He says, I want to be faithful in trusting you. And then he goes on, I want to be faithful in worshiping you. Let me, let me show you how we see this. He says in verse 3, the saints, God, those who have been set aside as your followers, God, those are, are my people. Those are the people that I'm going to, to, to be around. I want to lean in the direction of those who are following you faithfully. I want to move in that direction. And in contrast, he says in verse 4, those who run after other gods, I don't want any part of the things they pursue. I don't want any part in their idolatrous practices. Their their sacrifices are, are not for me. Those false gods are, are not for me. I will take. I will not take on their names on, on my lips. Or in other words, I will not speak in allegiance to those gods. I will not worship them. And so do you see what David is saying? I, the, the saints over here who are faithfully following you, that's who I want to be. I want to be like them. I don't want to be like those who are pursuing uh, the worship of other gods. And so David says, I want to be faithful in worshiping you. I, I want to be found faithful in the ways I'm worshiping God. My desire is to be faithful in the worship of God as I run from the things of the world to him. I want to be faithful in refusing to worship anyone or anything other than that God. I want to be faithful in trusting God. I want to be faithful in in worshiping God. And David continues in verses 5 and 6, showing us ways he desires to be faithful. These verses, uh, many believe David is using the language of the allotment of the promised land. It's a very good imagery for the people who are hearing this. The, the promised land being being divided up and, and given out to people. He says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. He has provided for me and he has given to me. This is in contrast to, to what, what was said in the previous verse. I'm not going to chase after other gods because they don't provide and they don't have authority over anything. And so David says, God, you hold my lot. You are in control of my provision. That's you. That's coming from you. He says in verse 6, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Here, here again is the wording that shows the giving out or the portioning of the land. David says, God, your provision for me is not just adequate, but it's pleasant. It's not just adequate, but it's pleasurable. It's enjoyable. It's not just what I, I need, but I'm actually taking enjoyment in the things that you have provided for me. David says, indeed, at the very end of that, he says, David, David says, indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. What you have provided for me and what you have given is not simply provision, but it is beautiful. It is enjoyable. It brings enjoyment. And what David is getting at here is this. Lord, I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful in enjoying you. I want to enjoy you. I want to be faithful in trusting you. I want to be faithful in worshiping you. I want to be faithful in enjoying you. Uh, this is the very beginning uh, of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Maybe you're familiar with that. It's this set of questions and answers that goes back and forth to point us more and more to God. And the very first question of that catechism is what? What is the chief end of man? 
And what's the answer to that question? What is our very purpose and our heartbeat? What is the chief end of man? The answer is man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To enjoy him. But I think so often, I I think so often we believe our relationship with God is one where we are far off and removed from him and we are to obey and worship him. That's our lot. We're just to obey. We're to obey, put our heads down and obey and worship God. God's far off. He's the authority. He, he, he is the one who is the master. We are his subjects. We are his servants. God is magnificent and we are just to bow down to him. That is our lot. And those things are true. So don't hear me say that those are not true. Those things are true, but we often lean in that direction to the neglect of enjoying God and the things that he's graciously given us, right? We lean in that direction. And so David says, I want to be faithful in enjoying God. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Now, does that resonate with you? Are you saying along with David, I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful. I want to be growing in my understanding of. I want to be growing in my dependence on. I want to be growing in my affections for God. I want to be faithful in the ups and the downs of life. I want to be faithful when things are difficult. I want to be faithful when things are are also going well. When my relationship with my spouse is rocky, I want to be faithful. When my job is on the line or I don't even have a job to speak of, I want to be faithful. When my health is really bad, I want to be faithful. When I'm depressed, yes, even depressed, I want to be faithful. When tragedy hits and I I get a bad diagnosis or my loved one is struggling to stay alive, I want to be faithful. When my relationships with people I thought were my friends go sour, I want to be faithful. When things are not going the way they ought to go, at least in my mind, I want to be faithful. David says, I want to be faithful in trusting God. He has authority over all things. I want, I want to be faithful in worshiping God. He, he is worthy of worship. Far above anything or any person, He's worthy of worship. I want to be faithful in enjoying God. I want to be faithful in enjoying God, much like what Paul says in Philippians 4. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content, and not just content, but finding great enjoyment and satisfaction in knowing God and being known by God. Does that blow your mind? That not only can we know Him, but He knows us. I want to find enjoyment in that. I want to be faithful. And and so are you able to say this morning, or are you able to ask the, the, the rhetorical question of your own heart, is there anything of greater value than being faithful and trusting God, worshiping God, and enjoying God? Is there anything of greater value? That that may be a good place to start your morning. Can can you think of anything else that ought to be there? That I want to trust God. I want to obey God, and, and, and I want to worship God. I want to worship God, I want to trust God, and I want to enjoy God. So, so help me, I want to be faithful. If that's not where you are, are, are other things or other people consuming your uh, attention? And, and, and I would put the question in front of us, how's that going for us? How, how is that going? Do, do you see that as a lifelong pursuit that will bring satisfaction and hope? What is consuming your attention? Like David, I think we need to be pleading, preserve me, O oh God. 
Cause me to be steadfast. You are my refuge. Protect me. You're my Lord. Anything good I have from you, I want to be faithful. Faithful in trusting you. Faithful in worshiping you. Faithful in enjoying you. So help. And here's the reason that David can plead in this way. The reason that David can plead with God to cause him to be faithful in these ways is because the Lord is faithful. Have you thought about that before? The only reason we can ask God to help us in being faithful is because He alone is faithful. Do you hear that? The only reason that we can ask God to help us be faithful is because He alone is faithful. He's eternally faithful. There is no one and nothing that will consistently and constantly be faithful in every way He has promised to be and has fulfilled that promise. No one can promise to eternally be faithful and keep that promise. No one but God. So listen, pause for a second. Let me take a deep breath. Wipe the sweat from your lip and and, and say this. Don't allow that, because I, I know where we would probably go here. Don't allow that to be trite and simple. That our God is faithful. Yep, God's faithful. And we move on. Don't allow that to be simple. Don't allow that to be a passing thought. Because we live in an age and we live in an era where commitment is lacking. We live in an age where promises are broken. Promises are broken. We live in an age where trusting anything is nearly impossible. So don't allow this to be a simple truth that our God is the only one who is perfectly faithful. Don't allow that to be simple. David knows this and he gives us at least three ways we can see God's faithfulness. Let me, let me point out where I think we see these. And again, I want to encourage us to not allow these to be simple, but allow them to sink in that the Lord is absolutely faithful. David says in verse 7, I will bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. So David is saying the Lord is faithful in doing what? The Lord is faithful in leading me. He's the one who's leading me. He gives me counsel. He instructs me. Internally, God is leading me. For David, he would say, and he does say, that, that, that God is leading him through his heart. Now we would say what? Now that the, the helper has been left, the Holy Spirit ha- has been left, the Holy Ghost has been left. We wouldn't use the Holy Ghost because we don't say that anymore. But the Holy Spirit has been left to lead us, right? We would say that. The, the Lord is faithful and he will lead me. And so David continues in verse 8, the Lord is faithful in leading me. He's always before me. He's the one who I my eyes fixed on. He, he's always before me leading me. He is at my right hand. He is the one who is my authority, my help, my defender. He is leading me at, at my right hand. He's there. I won't be shaken. I won't be moved. The Lord is faithful in leading me. Do we sense that? The, the Lord is faithful in that. David continues in, in verse 9, the Lord is faithful in protecting me. My heart can be glad and everything about me can rejoice. I can live in security. Now, do you see the the wide-reaching impact of God's faithfulness that David can say with all certainty, my heart is glad, my inner being is glad, and and, and my whole being rejoices that everything about me is able to to rejoice. My flesh, my physical body rests secure. Don't see that as simple. That God is faithful. 
that, that he is protecting, that he is leading. David says in verse 10, God, you won't abandon my soul to Sheol or allow me to see corruption. The, the Lord is faithful, faithful in protecting me ultimately. I would say ultimately God is faithful in protecting me. Peter and Paul in the New Testament both quote these verses from, from Psalm 16 to point out our hope in what? The resurrection of Jesus, right? The, the resurrection of Jesus and our being resurrected with him. They, they point to these verses to point our hope to the resurrection that God will not ultimately abandon us to the grave. Just like he raised Jesus from the dead, so too will we be raised from the dead. So God will not abandon us. He is protecting us. If God was not involved in the daily aspects of our lives, we would have been crushed long ago, right? If God was not intimately involved in our daily lives, we would have been thrown off the planet and burned up by the sun. There's probably some science behind that, but I have no clue how to even explain that. But that, that's maybe what would happen, like getting on a miracle round and then someone stopping it and you just go flying. It would be like that, that God is daily and intimately involved in our protection, but ultimately and eternally, he is our protector. He will not uh, abandon us. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us. He is with us today and that will never change, ever. The Lord is faithful, faithful in protecting. And then finally, David says in verse 11, the Lord is faithful. Here's how, here's how we move. Faithful in providing for us. Let me show you this. He says, Lord, in verse 11, Lord, you may, I want you to look there. Verse 11. This is how this finishes up. Lord, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is full joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So listen, God is providing that. Do you understand that? That God is the one providing that for us. He says, Lord, you, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is full joy. At your right hand are eternal, are, are eternal pleasures. We sang this song last week. It also comes from a catechism. We sang this song. It's been going through my mind all week. And the song is this. My one comfort both in life and death is that I am not my own. That I'm not my own. I don't belong to myself. I belong to God. It's because of God that we have life. It's because of God that we have full joy and eternal pleasures. Outside of God's provision, here's what I think we need to hear. Outside of God's provision, our joy is limited and our enjoyment will fade. Outside of God being involved in that, we have no hope. And so we've got to believe this, that the joy we have now and the pleasures we experience now is only a small picture of what it will be into eternity because of the faithfulness of God. God is faithful. He, he is. He, he's the same yesterday, today, and into eternity. And so our joy today is, a, is small compared to what is to come. And the pleasures we experience now are, are minuscule compared to, to what they will be into eternity. So here's where I land in all of this this week as I've been thinking through this, as I've been reading through this article that my wife so lovingly sent at the right time. It's this. I want to be faithful. But I want to be faithful in the right things. I, I want to be faithful in the things that last into e eternity. 
I want to be faithful in trusting God. I want to be faithful in worshiping God. I want to be faithful in enjoying God. The question we may need to ask is, what else is there that will last into eternity where our God continues to be faithful in leading us, protecting us, and providing for us? I I want to be faithful. Our Lord is faithful. So here's where I, I want to end. Our Lord is faithful in leading, protecting, and providing for us. And we see that most how? We see that most in what he promised to fulfill through his son, Jesus. How can we have what David says, have a path toward life? How can we have that? Because Jesus lived because Jesus died, because Jesus lives again. The the path of life is made known to us most today in in Jesus. Yes, we will taste death, all of us. We we will taste it, but death is not our end. Life is. To to keep going with verse 11 from Psalm 16, how will we be in the presence of God where we will experience that full joy? We, We can be in the presence of God and experience that full joy because of Jesus. When Jesus came as our great high priest, we talked about this last week, when he came as our great high priest and offered his body as a sacrifice for the penalty of our sins, the curtain was torn in two so that we would have access. The door was open so that we would have access to God. It is because of Jesus, not us, It is because of Jesus that we can be in the presence of God and experience what David talks about, the fullness of joy. We're told in verse 11 that at the right hand of God are pleasures forevermore. Let that sink in. At the right hand of God are pleasures forevermore. Now, here's a question. I want to hear a response. And I think you know the answer. It starts with a J. Who who is at the right hand of God? Jesus. Right? A little bit of a trick question. I'm going to show you how it's a trick question. Jesus is at God's right hand. That's absolutely true. Paul tells us in Ephesians 1, according to his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. So Jesus absolutely is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Absolutely. He's, he's there, has all dominion and power and authority. Jesus is at God's right hand. But what did Paul say just verses after this? Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. What's that next part say? And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Who else is at God's right hand? We are. We have been seated with him. That's why David can say, that's why Paul can say that that, that the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us are shown in Christ Jesus. That's how David can say that at your right hand are pleasures forevermore because Jesus is there and we also get to be there. We're seated with him in the presence of God because of Jesus. David says, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Absolutely and amen. And into eternity, we will experience the pleasures of God forever and ever and ever in the presence of and because of Jesus, our Savior. Now listen, we have no other response to that than to worship, right? There's no other response than than to worship the God who made us to enjoy Him and be seated to have pleasures forever. 
There, there's no other response than, than to worship. I want to be faithful and I want to hear my Lord say to me, just like the master in the parable in Matthew 25, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. What's that last part? Enter into the joy, the joy of your master. I want to be faithful because God is faithful. I want to faithfully enter into the joy of our master, our Lord and our Savior. Paul ends, uh, ends his writing career, at least of what we know, in Second Timothy, probably the last letter he wrote before he went to be with Jesus forever. And what does he write at the very end of that book, Second Timothy? He says what? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Would that be our hope? Would that be our, our, our sight set on that? that? That we would be faithful that God would be causing us to endure and to finish the race that's set before us, fixing our eyes on Christ, who endured the cross and despised the shame. Can I pray that that would be the case? Let's pray. God, what a joy it is to be able to read through Psalms, the Psalms of David, and, and see how he longed to be faithful to you. He, he longed to be faithful to you, even in the presence of, of enemies surrounding him, even in the presence of others worshiping other gods. He longed to be faithful to you. And God, I, my prayer for us is that that would be our desire. That our desire would be, be the very same, that we would long to be faithful to you. Faithful in trusting you, faithful in worshiping you, faithful in enjoying you. That our relationship with you would not be a burden because Christ came to relieve us of the burden. That it would be enjoyment. Resting. Resting. Resting secure in relationship with you because of Christ. That would be my prayer. God, we know that you are faithful. We read about it. That doesn't mean we believe it all the time. And so I pray where we have uh, problems, where we have, where we have doubts, where we have issues that are keeping us from believing that you are absolutely faithful, that you would increase our belief. Where we have doubt, help our unbelief, I pray. Help us to see that you are faithful, that you've called us to be faithful. You've called us to endure. You've called us to be steadfast. God, I pray for our, our friends here who are with crew, who are heading back into to places that, that are going to be difficult. I pray that you would give them faithfulness. I pray that you would give them endurance. I pray that they, you would lead them, protect them, provide for them. And that they would see that as coming from your hand. And God, for all of us, I pray that we would see so very clearly that the ways that you have led us and protected us and provided for us is in your Son, who came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died a death that, was, that we deserve, paid the penalty for our sin by dying on a cross and was raised from the dead so that we too could be at your right hand. Pray that that would 
overflow into rejoicing and into worship, not just today, but, but throughout the week and our lives and into eternity, we pray. Amen.